Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It's my weekly podcast where I speak to South Africa's leading investment professionals. My name is Raik van Ikerk. Fatima Vafda is my guest today. She's the Managing Director of 27.4 Investment Managers. She's also been in the industry for more than two decades. Uh, she has seen uh, a lot of action and uh, 27.4 Investment Managers is, of course, a multi-manager. It invests in uh, other funds, and uh, they have a very interesting approach. Fatima, thank you so much for joining me. First of all, you know, we've seen so much market volatility this year. How did the the multi-manager approach hold up uh, as opposed to pure uh, multi-asset class funds? Well, first of all, thank you very much, Rake, for having me on your show. In fact, I think it's been an, a really good opportunity for multi-manager portfolios and fund of funds portfolios to shine relative to single managed portfolios, largely because of the volatility in the markets, as well as when it comes to risky assets, the different styles that allow you to achieve the diversification benefits. And it's really been a style play in the market. So while we've had significant upside come through in the market because of the central bank interventions and because of the fiscal and monetary policy uh, stimulus uh, globally and domestically, you know, that widespread jump in the markets has not, I mean, the jump in the markets has not been widespread. I mean, if you look at what's happened globally, you know, it's just largely been uh, the fangs that have performed and global quality has performed. So if you were a single manager and your style was out of favor during this period, you know, it could be detrimental to your performance. And so the benefit of a multi-manager portfolio is that uh, particularly within the asset classes that drive investment returns, we have the ability to bias our portfolios towards style factors that we believe are going to have a high probability of delivering value in such a volatile period. So, for example, if you're a volatile manager, I mean, if you're a value manager over this period, you know, coming into 2020, you perhaps uh, were a lot more positive that you could see some of that unlock come through, even within the mid cap and the small cap space. But unfortunately, COVID-19 has delayed that. And, you know, those catalysts to see that unlock of value is going to take a long time. And so as a multi-manager, we have the benefit to say, well, okay, you know, we think that that value is not going to do well over the next period, or we think that let's hedge our bets and we'll have a little bit of value in the portfolio. But overall, we can optimize our style blend in a way that can favor the current market conditions. Of course, it's critical for a multi-manager to get the asset allocation right. Can you quickly go through the asset classes and give us your Uh, insights into how you think they will perform in the, say, short and medium term? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, we run multi-asset class portfolios and typically in South Africa, those multi-asset class portfolios are limited in terms of Regulation 28 of the Pensions Funds Act because they're really focused on... um, gathering of compulsory assets and therefore they've got to be there's prescriptive limitations there you know the retail portfolios that are packaged within unit trust uh, they're slightly different to our institutional portfolios because the current collective investment schemes act prohibit you from adding unlisted exposure which i think is something that will perhaps change going forward so in our institutional portfolios we do include asset classes that have the ability to immunize and hedge long-term liabilities and therefore increasingly we're looking 
at the unlisted space to be able to achieve that. One, because returns are higher and two, because they have the ability to also create some form of impact on the South African economy. So if we look at our typical multi-asset class portfolios on the retail side, you know, we'd have domestic equities, domestic bonds, inflation-linked bonds, uh, cash, a little bit of listed property. And then, of course, we maximize our offshore allocation. And that's largely been in the developed market space because there's an emerging economy, we see an additional risk premium based on potential returns. And therefore, you know, we wouldn't want to pick aggressive uh, exposure to other emerging markets when 70% of our portfolio is already in an emerging market. So the retail portfolios, we've got the standard vanilla asset classes, which is global equities. We, like I said, we're more focused on developed markets, domestic equities. You know, we're really staying away from the mid caps, the small caps. We're staying away from value. We want to be more, we've got a tactical style tilt towards quality, growth, size, large caps. And then, of course, the bond market. You know, we have to be in the bond market, one, because of the prescriptive limits. But the other reason is, regardless of what the fiscal situation looks like at the moment, our bonds are still really attractive for international investors. And it really depends on which part of the yield curve you play. So, Diversification from an asset class perspective and the way we achieve our diversification from an asset class perspective is working backwards, understanding what our investment objective is in a multi-asset class portfolio, and then really applying both a quantitative and qualitative process to achieve that optimal asset allocation. And that involves on the quantitative side, you know, multiple, I think we run over the 200,000 simulations to achieve that uh, optimization. And then, of course, on the qualitative side, understanding the drivers of return and ensuring that we position. So we have our long-term strategic asset allocation. And then over the short and medium term, we'll tactically underweight or overweight relative to that long-term asset allocation. You've said earlier that you see the unlisted investments as a separate asset class. Can you maybe just elaborate on what the approach is? Is it a, a private equity type of investment? Yeah, so we have uh, private equity in our institutional portfolios. One, I think... Uh, you know, the JSC has really shrunk over the past decade. Uh, a decade ago, we had about 650 shares listed on the JSE. Currently, we have about 330 shares listed on the JSE. Also, the concentration on the JSE, you know, largely, if we think about the meteoric rise of NASPERS and our process, has really resulted in a local pause that is carried by a non-South African-focused business. And, you know, outside of the large-cap RAND hedge counters, there's very little opportunity on the JSE. So given that the JSE is shrinking and we're seeing the rise of institutional investors investing in the unlisted markets like private equity, and because private equity are long-term investments and have annualized historically in excess of 20%, we think that for institutional portfolios, it's a good uh, addition to the portfolio. And also, if you think about uh, the blended finance opportunities that are coming to market specifically, because I think a compromise for government not going the prescribed assets route is to provide a bit of a sweetener to attract a retirement fund capital and private market investment to invest alongside government in strategic investment projects, which can generate significant upside for patient investors who can put away long-term capital. So, yes, we do have exposure to unlisted investments in our institutional portfolios. They have added value so far, and we think that they'll continue to add value uh, largely because of the structural impediments of our listed markets. What are your views on the probability of prescribed assets or a, uh, a change in the Regulation 28 provisions? 
So I think uh, the change is coming. I think our Minister of Finance, Tito Mboweni, flirted with the idea and kind of said something in, in his when he announced the new budget a couple of weeks ago. SAFCA have made a submission to the National Treasury requesting that the alternatives bucket that's currently split between hedge funds and private equity be divided because those two are very different types of investments and they're bucketed together in the alternative space. I think there's submissions that have also been made to the FISCA to amend SISCA uh, regulations to allow for unlisted investments. So I think, one, that regulations will be changed to allow for direct exposure to unlisted investments, both in the institutional space and in the retail market. And two, I think it's a compromise from government to say, well, we won't have traditional prescribed assets in the way the apartheid government had implemented prescribed assets, but we will rather do it in a form of public-private partnership and blended finance opportunities where you create a win-win situation for investors while at the same time you achieve economic development growth and the potential for job creation. There's a lot of opposition to being forced to do things in South Africa, especially with the high levels of distrust currently, but it seems like you are slightly positive about the prospects of funds to actually achieve above average earnings from from such investments. Yeah, so I mean, I'm opposed to the traditional form of prescribed assets, which is the way the Fundate government had implemented it. I am supportive of public-private partnerships and blended finance opportunities because I do think that from a source of return perspective in South Africa, we are limited. The JSE is is not giving us that source of return. I mean, if you look at over a 60-month period, over a five-year period, you know, we've annualized less than 5% on the JSE. And I think investors are frustrated. Uh, We need to generate above inflationary returns. And this does provide us with an opportunity to look at different ways of achieving impact in our economy while at the same time achieving good investment returns. But can that not be achieved without prescribed assets? 100% it can't, but what is attractive to crowd in private sector capital is the sweetener that government provides. And I'll give you an example. You know, we recently awarded a mandate from the National Treasury's Jobs Fund. And as a sweetener to attract third-party capital matched funders, government comes in as a first-loss tranche in the, the overall private equity mandate. And they also provide an enhancement to the matched funders on the investment return. It's turned out to be a phenomenal attractive investment and we've you know we've raised the matched funding against the grant funding that we received from the National Treasury's Jobs Fund you know it's worked very successfully in the OECD regions it's worked very successfully as part of the National Treasury's Jobs Fund over the past decade and I do think if you do it very cleverly and innovatively you are going to attract matched funding and you are going to achieve objectives we're not saying that we're going to go into investments that that are potentially risky etc everything needs to go go through the normal processes of uh, due diligence and ensuring that everything is up to scratch. Interesting. Let's uh, talk about markets again. Will changed in March, especially in South Africa and then internationally. We saw a massive crash in March. We saw a rebound in April. Markets continued to rise steadily. And uh, many markets, including the local market, actually hit record highs for the year quite recently. And uh, many people 
are scratching their heads. <laughs> uh, how are you looking at this and have you changed your investment approach? Yes, we've made a significant amount of changes in our multi-asset class fund. So one, you know, yes, we've had a fantastic three months that has largely been driven by fiscal and monetary stimulus. And one could argue that there's a dislocation between Main Street and Wall Street. But a lot of it has not been, you know, globally, if we see what happened in international markets, as I said earlier, the biggest run has been in the fangs. It's been in quality type of stocks. You know, we've seen IT run quite aggressively. We've seen healthcare counters run quite aggressively. But then you see the losers. You know, the losers were the likes of the financials uh, internationally. And if you look at the domestic market, the domestic market over the last while, the biggest uh, movements and the positive movements came from the gold miners because of the risk of sentiment and and, uh, the gold price rallying so aggressively. And then we also saw a big movement in uh, the tech counters with South African Inc. type of counters uh, not doing well, particularly uh, consumer-facing retail businesses as well as financial counters. If we look into all of that and we sit back and we say, okay, well, we are multi-manager. We don't think that there's an opportunity in the mid-cap space. We don't see opportunity in value. We don't see opportunity in small caps. You know, over the past five years, only 20% of active asset managers have in fact outperformed their benchmarks. We've seen the dominance of growth relative to value. We've seen the erosion of any type of small cap and mid cap size premium. And we've really seen this flight to balance sheet quality over profitability. I mean, with a lot of counters coming, Mm. you know, restructuring their balance sheets, etc. So, I mean, over the past two years, what we've been doing at 27.4 is we've been hiring a lot of data scientists and we've been increasingly moving towards using machine learning. I mean, Another word to, to, to kind of talk about it is, is more kind of artificial intelligence in the way we pick asset managers. So, you know, if we think back that over the past five years, you know, less than 20% of active managers actually outperform their benchmark, one could just say, well, why don't you just go for passive? What about actually digging deeper and finding those who are those 20% of managers that do actually outperform their benchmark and are they identifiable? And so, You know, globally, the move to big data, machine learning, artificial intelligence is increasingly being applied in the asset management space. And so what we did was we ran our models over 600 general equity funds in South Africa. And, you know, we've been able to bridge that gap between what we believe is is pure rules-based investing and active management. And we've gone to the market and we've looked at uh, new managers and, and we are overhauling our domestic equity a building block. Um, we've selected uh, four managers that are coming into our portfolios that we believe from a style analysis and blending from manager skill, from a risk premium perspective, from a sector and style diversification and perspective, we think that they're going to add value to the portfolio. Is it working, the AI approach? Um, there's a lot of uh, research going into it, but have you outperformed your benchmarks over the last two years since you've implemented this model? Yeah, so we started bringing in a lot of data scientists and doing the research over the past two years. And we finally got to the point now where we've just recently implemented those changes in the last couple of weeks. So it's an exciting time to speak to you because when we came into 2020, you know, our views on the markets were very, very different. As I said to you, perhaps we could have seen the unlock come through from the our holdings that we held in the portfolio. So what we have decided to do following this analysis and review of the equity building block, we have terminated three of the managers in our equity building block on the domestic side, and we've 
introduced three new managers on the domestic side. And we believe that there's a 70% probability of these guys looking forward uh, of outperforming their respective benchmarks. Who did you fire and who did you appoint? <laughs> so it's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, given the current market cycle, we don't expect to see unlock coming from the value side. And so, unfortunately, Denker, one of the casualties, you know, we don't see rising interest rates anytime soon. You know, this market is going to, commodity prices are going to remain strong. We don't see economic growth coming through anytime soon. And, you know, the environment just doesn't suit that kind of strategy. Uh, and if things change in the future, you know, we'd always look at them again. So unfortunately, Denka were casualty. And similarly, Patelier were casualty in the portfolio. And, you know, they've been very good managers who have been with us for a very, very long time. But unfortunately, the, the current cycle of the market is not suitable to them. The third one? Well, the third one we haven't yet terminated, so I'm going to keep it quiet. <laughs> okay. Until we do that. You know, and, and we're doing the same recipe on the global side as well. And so, you know, across our institutional portfolios and the domestic portfolios, we've brought on the likes of Fairtree. We think that Fairtree have got a process that is adaptable to the new environment. We like what they're doing and, you know, we are confident in their ability to deliver. Uh, Stephen Brown and Cor Boyson, you know, they currently manage around 69 billion rand as a house. The other manager we brought on, of course, that everyone's fairly familiar with is, is the likes of, of Investic Asset Management and a 91 portfolio that is managed by Hannes van der Berg and Unati Lewis. And they use a combination of quantitative stock screening as well as bottom-up fundamental research. And then a nice outsider that we've brought in is, is the likes of a small manager called Resco, but we believe that they've got very specific strengths in specific areas. And when we put them together with the other managers in the portfolio, the likes of Coronation and some of our passive exposure, they work quite well. And then, of course, uh, one of the other niche boutique managers that we well, uh, has been around for a long time, but we think that they're well positioned to deliver earnings, I mean, results going forward is the likes of 361. Mm -hmm. So those are the four managers that we're bringing on in various different weightings, depending on the, 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 the multi-asset class portfolio. And also, you know, we've really taken the positioning of uh, bringing in quite a bit of passive in all of our portfolios. So on the fixed income side, on the equity side as well. And on the equity side, uh, you know, we've gone for the top 40. We think that the top 40 has got a natural growth and momentum tilt. It's got exposure to all the RAND hedge counters. And then we do have our beta exposure to the overall general equity market through uh, SWIX. So lots of changes on the domestic equity side. We've brought in a little bit of passive to complement our exposure on the fixed income side. And then we're running a similar process on the global side. So we're hoping that these changes that we've made position the portfolios better and, and provide that buffer aggressive downside moves, but are able to generate decent upside going forward. We will most definitely speak next year to see how successful this uh, approach is. Very interesting indeed. But Fatima, thank you so much uh, for joining me and, and really good luck. Uh, these are not interest. Well, these are not easy times to be a, an investment manager. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. We're seeing a lot of opportunity and I see the positive in, in any kind of stressful moment. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, happy to chat again next time. Thank you so much. Take care. That was Fatima Wafta. She's the Managing Director of 274 Investment Managers.